Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. Well, you'll notice that uh, Brit and I are sitting on stools, and there's an empty stool, and this empty stool is for our guest today, who has come from Kentucky, uh, and uh, it's Rob Lim. Please give him a round of applause from Asbury University. So, uh, welcome. Um, Thank you. It's great to have you here, uh, and it's great to have someone from Asbury, but also the added bonus that you're also an Aussie. Uh, so, yes. maybe let's begin with the story of uh, Sydney. It's, I think, where you're born, you shared. Uh, from Sydney to how you ended up at Asbury. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a story. And first of all, great to be here as well with um, uh, family, really. Um, I was sharing with Mark earlier, it really feels like there's a similar DNA that's here as what I experienced really in the outpouring itself in Asbury. But how did a Aussie end up over there? Um, uh, I like to explain to my American students who, um, if any of them are hearing, their geography's not great. I'm happy to say it up front. <laughs> <laughs> but I usually tell them that I was born on um, the side of the bridge where they found Nemo. <laughs> And when I say that, they know where I'm from, yeah. so, where the dentist was. Uh, <laughs> but I was, I was born up there and um, I ended up in, uh, uh, through my travels in Melbourne um, after I studied at university. Um, but like um, some of us, I felt the Lord pulling at my heart. I was a little bit co-vocational in, in a way. I was working in the banking industry and then... And, and preaching at the same time, but I felt led to go to seminary. And I heard about Asbury Seminary, not to be confused with Asbury University, they're two separate institutions, um, whilst I was in Africa, in fact. And um, that the Lord placed that on my heart. And 2011, I ended up moving with my wife and four kids to Asbury Seminary in Kentucky in 2018 to start studying there. Um, I finished studying there last year, but out of an unusual move of God, and he likes to outwit us a lot, I, um, I've got a huge heart for marketplace ministry, and I was invited by the university to teach, at their, teach in their business school, uh, business and faith together. It's a bit unusual, the concept of a Christian university and, and business. Um, so I started teaching there literally four weeks before the outpouring. And um, so I only got my visa in November last year, and I started working in January. And maybe that's a helpful distinction to make for people because in Australia we're not really used to the idea that in the US they have Christian universities and seminaries are like Bible colleges. So Asbury's two institutions on one grounds, but that also plays part of the story of the outpouring. Correct, um, correct. You studied at an American institution. I did, very briefly. College basketball, that's another story. That is another story. Another time. Um, <laughs> thanks, Mark. Uh, yeah, so it sounds like God's obviously led you there and had you there. Um, but we'd love to hear from that experience of the outpouring. What was it like for you as someone who was there, obviously semi-new kind of to the, the university and everything going on? But what, what was it like for you? How did you experience it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, every time I think about it, I do get a little bit overwhelmed sometimes. And um, can I just testify to all of you? as um, brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the world. In the words of C.S. Lewis, as I shared before, Aslan's on the move. Aslan is really on the move. 
and um, just to share um, that he's pouring out his spirit specifically on Generation Z. So if there's any Gen Zers in the room, in a remarkable way, a generation that's deemed to be the um, forgotten, lost, in some ways so much has been placed upon them in terms of um, not living up to a certain standard. But the Lord has specifically poured out his spirit on them in Asbury University and what we've heard and through testimonies and eyewitness accounts all across the world and really feel like we're getting an overflow, uh, those of us in different generations. But um, uh, it started on February the 8th. Uh, because it's a Christian liberal arts university, we have compulsory chapel on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. And on a Wednesday, um, this chapel just occurred as normal. However, it just didn't stop. <laughs> and can I just say straight out off the bat, I love it how I can say off the bat here and people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if I throw in Aussie words every now and then, it's because I'm a bit homesick. But um, there was um, nothing against these things. There was no drum kit. There was no, um, there was no PowerPoint. There was no projector. There was no electric. There was nothing. This is an old auditorium that holds at 1,500 people with old creaky seats. And 19 students lingered after the service. My friend who was preaching that day admittedly said he even thought he stuffed it up and texted his wife saying, I'm going to be home early. So again, just to really pull away any aspect of man in this, um, this was not manufactured. It was, it was low hype. It was gentle. And God did something. Um, I've never experienced the presence of God like that in my life. And I remember a, a group of students ran into my class because I started teaching at one o'clock that afternoon. Four students ran in and um, they had tears in their eyes. And as they barged into the room, they just bleated out Prof Rob, Revival is breaking in Hughes Auditorium. You don't expect students to say that, let alone anyone. And admittedly, I was not... Um, I was a little bit sceptical, to be honest. But uh, something prompted my heart. So I cancelled class. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll never forget Morgan, who stood up young basketball and um, she stood up and she sprinted outside of the classroom saying prof rob if the lord is moving there i'm not going to miss out as i wandered down to hughes auditorium that afternoon um, again it was low tech but every word that was being there was probably about a hundred at that stage every single word that was being sung by those students there was overwhelming authenticity to every word that was coming out their mouth. And the presence of the Lord was so tangible. And the way I explain it is for those blokes that have got married and your wife's about to walk down the aisle, you know that feeling again? Imagine that multiplied by 10, like the expectancy, the nerves, but also the joy. And it just didn't end for 16 days. And we had... Um, 
anywhere from accounts range from 60,000 to 100,000 people come through a small town Warmore. It's only got two traffic lights, um, Subway and an IGA, um, to come and experience what the Lord was doing there. And it's not ending. It's going across the world, Mark and Britt. It really is. It really is. So the, the presence of God begins to move and there's this unexpected outpouring. What are some of the outcomes that you begin to see in people? You shared one just with a, a Japanese uh, young high school student. Um, you don't have to tell that story. Um, tell it if you want. But like, what are some of the, yeah, out, uh, the outcomes of the outpouring is, I guess, the question I'm asking. Yeah, there were really, um, we call it markers or manifestations of what God was doing in Hughes. And I really believe it's a reminder for the church, the global church as a whole, the first key theme, four of them, the first key theme that we really experienced was this concept of radical humility. And when I say radical humility, I, another way of putting it was really the, um, it was a nameless, faceless movement. There was no celebrities. In fact, I would say nearly all, so much of American Christian celebrity culture came to the outpouring, but none placed their faces on top of it. It was led by students and nameless, faceless preachers. And um, that radical humility just stuck to those 16 days and we really feel has gone beyond. Um, the second manifestation was this concept of unity. The number of different groups that were present there was mind-blowing. But the fact was they were all present, but we had no time to even consider those differences because all eyes were just fixated on Jesus. God had distracted us. And when I reflect back on what was happening, I remember seeing, I remember the differences then because there was a Catholic priest in the room. There was, um, there was all kinds of different flavours of Christianity. But people were not focused on difference. People were only fixated by Christ. And the Spirit was pouring out His Spirit on everyone that was, that was there. Um, the other aspect of it was um, this concept of love. Everyone that walked into that room and even all the overflow rooms, there was about another four or five overflow rooms, by the way, um, even outdoors, just experienced this confirmation that they were daughters or sons of God. This deep, deep heartfelt assurance that they were... Um, children of God. And the final one, right, if you go into Hughes Auditorium, which is the chapel where it started, right at the back of the room, there's this line, very outdated, you know, 1800s line, but it says, holiness unto the Lord. I kid you not, but there was this overwhelming sense of desiring holiness. Can I even say from Gen Z students? Not Holiness defined as moralism, but holiness defined as I want to be holy because God is holy and because it blesses people around me. And I saw students literally accelerate in their spiritual maturity 10 years in a week. Um, chains broken, um, uh, overflowing, it, not, again, not just Gen Z, but also also adults and young children coming to the altar. It was continually filled. The altar was so full that the carpet was wet and at times even the altar railing 
was, was just pools of water because the Lord was doing just a deep work um, by his grace amongst us. So that, that were really the key themes that came through. And I think I'm, I'm going to jump ahead in our questions here because I think it relates to that. David Thomas, who's sort of been one of the shepherds of the, of the outpouring, you know, said to me um, that this generation Z has been told, um, so I'm adapting to the Australian Z there, um, the, the, has been told that, um, you know, what's been said of them is that they're morally ambiguous, but they're actually looking for moral certainty. Um, uh, yeah, is that, that's essentially what you're sort of saying. Yes, that's very much that concept of just this hunger for holiness, such an outdated word. Just to give a couple of examples of that, I remember one of my students, his name was Nick, brilliant, bright, um, finance student and only a few days prior to the outpouring I remember talking to him about faith and he was apathetic at best. Um, fast forward a few days after and during the outpouring I remember walking past one of the classrooms close to the chapel at about 2am in the morning. A lot of us as staff hung around to shepherd, to pastor and whatnot. And I could hear two voices in there weeping and praying. And I had to take a second look because I didn't believe who it was. It was Nick, who was apathetic at best, on his face with his girlfriend, and they were recommitting their lives to the Lord. It wasn't not that we judge prayer based on time, but they were there for hours, literally on their face with the Lord. And... Um, just seeing that kind of transformation, seeing him three months afterwards just continually contending, not for himself, but wanting, feeling compelled to testify about what he had witnessed to other people, it's um, bewildering. And I think that to um, seeing th this generation become mouthpieces for the Lord who would never even consider themselves to be mouthpieces prior going out self-driven well, driven by the Lord, by the Spirit, to other universities, to churches, just being, com feeling compelled to go out to testify has, has been, um, it gives you so much hope as a church. It said, you know, different um, outpourings and revivals and, you know, so they kind of have these unique flavours or the word Mark uses contours, which I really like. I'm just wondering what, how you would kind of define some of that in, in the sense of, I'd love to hear that, like the nature of God. You described it as you'd never experienced him like that before. And so just wondering, even at a personal level, how is this, what, sorry, two questions here. Let me be clear. What kind of shape and contours does, did it have or does it have, this, this outpouring? And then the second one is, um, how has it changed your perspective of God and your faith in that? Yeah, for me. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so on the first one, I think one of the key things that we're seeing reverberate um, in many places is this like reconfigure, or not even a reconfiguration because it's going back to really what it should be of what church is. In fact, I know we revere revival much but or outpouring um, or awakening I really feel that is the state of what our church should be in. 
continual expectancy and hunger and the Lord being with us. And um, that, to what I talked about earlier, that concept of radical humility, I think you're just seeing, um, again, I know there's, I've got wonderful friends that are in large churches, but I think you're really seeing this um, uh, deplatforming of church in some way, the nameless, faceless concept of it, this radical humility that is just um, saturating and pouring out across so many churches and communities that follow the Lord around the world. And um, and Jesus is the only one being magnified in this. That has been so paramount. Um, and, in fact, uh, I'm not surprised that... Um, that um, the God, that our God is doing this because I think, can I even dare say as a person that's a leader in my own church that um, we, and I'm taking ownership of this as myself, that um, um, sometimes what church has become and being reminded by the Lord in this way in such a dramatic fashion but also a very gentle fashion of what he wants it to be, his bride. Um, personally, I think it's, and that reminder has been uh, very, very sharp on me and um, continuing to want to contend in that posture. Um, uh, but also personally for me, I think I just have so much renewed hope. You want every sister and brother in Christ to experience that overwhelming presence of God in the same way. And you know that God wants to, to lavish that out upon people, not because of anything we do, but simply because he wants to, to those that are hungry and thirsty for him. So, You said something really key, I think, there, that your sense after this is that that sort of what you experienced or that state of outpouring or hungering after God, desiring God, is almost should be the normative for church. Um, Australians are very good at uh, critiquing America. <laughs> um, and uh, we can look at things like, you know, charismatic big, you know, leaders in America, and you mentioned that and how a lot turned up but weren't platformed. Um, I'm just interested too, like that call, that vision though, it's harder to look at ourselves. When you look at the Aussie church, for that to happen, what you just said in the Aussie church, what do you think are some of the unique challenges? for our context. Absolutely. Um, I think humility can look different in different cultures, or pride, I should say, looks different in different cultures. And uh, being an Aussie in America, um, you know, I, I was kidding with uh, Mark and Britt before that I haven't had a proper cup of coffee for a while. So. <laughs> and uh, I take great pride that we have Melbourne magics here. And <laughs> But... Um, um, it's very easy to look at their pride and the plank in their eye about being um, we are the leaders in the Western world and whatnot. But in some sense, there's a um, there's a false humility that can creep into cultures. I would even dare say for my own home culture here, where we just get so content with our way of life and think that we are able to demonstrate and live and embody what a society should look like in Australia because we're relatively peaceful, uh, we're multicultural, we've got great coffee, we've, um, we, our sport's the best, and, um, and we look at everyone else saying, oh, they're all arrogant and 
ground, but in some sense that there's a false humility in that too. And I think as a culture um, um, to think we can, we can say, well, yeah, that's great that God did that in America. They need it. When in actual fact, if we pull over the covers, is there an inherent um, pride that we have that is probably um, disguised because we've disguised it to make ourselves feel comfortable. And um, so I do feel this outpouring is for the world in that sense. But are we willing to confront those, those spiritual realities um, and allow God to work in our lives and our churches and in my home, my home Australia? Yeah, wow. Well. Um, gosh, there's so many questions, hey? Do you want to write in? But one we would love to hear about as well is just how much prayer is involved in these things and coming before God and crying out. There was a move um, in the 1970s in Asbury. Um, we watched a video of David Thomas in one of our renewal sessions from 2016 about travailing prayer. Um, and so we'd just love to hear, yeah, a little bit more around that, your witnessing prayer and the outpouring and, you know, the build-up to that. Not that it can be orchestrated and that's what we're always seeking. We're not seeking a pattern, but we know there's a link there. And we've just spent 24 hours praying. And seeking God, um, so we know that there's power in prayer. But yeah, just love to hear something about that. Yeah, like admittedly, there has been um, uh, before that. There was before before the outpouring in Asbury, and again, really trying to dismiss the fact that there's any um, causation out of this. Like we as humans can cause this, but there was a lot of prayer. There was a chorus of prayer, and I really view that more as God inviting us to join into His heart desires. What was special about many of those prayer gatherings was that there was belief that God could move and, um, and a gathering of people from every tribe and tongue, the Revelation 7 piece, when I say that, I speak both um, ethnically but also uh, church divides coming together to contend and pray. But I really feel that, that um, uh, coming together of people... Uh, planted seeds of revival, not really us planting the seeds, but God plant, allowing, being able to plant the seeds in us because of that belief. Um, so when people really talk about the whole concept of prayer precedes revival, I, I can really testify that we saw so much of that and that there was a hunger for it. Not, not a revival for the simple fact of I think God even outwitted us. Sometimes we can get into this aspect of revival so that I can feel his presence in such a beautiful way. That's, I think that's part of it, and it's probably a smaller part of it, but more importantly, it's how does revival stir um, stir the church in a way that those words we utter every week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven, becomes a reality, uh, and that we can really grasp our role as being um, God's ambassadors uh, to see his kingdom come so that revival can be poured out across all aspects of society and um, his kingdom come, can come across all spheres of society. So, and that's, 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 I think really that's where many of the students, uh, they're getting very bold now. I teach business classes. I even had a student saying, oh, Prof Rob, we've got, um, um, there shouldn't be a golden calf in the middle of Wall Street. There should be a golden cross. I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to contend for it. I'm going to be a 
um, I'm going to work in that field, in that business sphere to see thy kingdom come in that sphere. And seeing Gen Z grasp such boldness, it gives you hope, doesn't it? It encourages you, encourages us. And talk, even talking to the older generations, the middlers or the elders, we have a role to role model the faith in that way, not living that secular spiritual divide. They're seeking an authenticity and God's given us a head start through this outpouring of what he's done, um, again, across the world. And I've even heard like stories of how you've experienced sparks of God moving and um, I just really want to encourage you all uh, in that. That's God's placed you here for a specific purpose. Um, I love etymology, and I was looking up the word Nunawading, and I saw how it means like battleground indigenous. And I thought, wow, that's great that Red Church is planted here to part the sea in this in this area. So, you know, um, uh, we were talking about Red Church back in Warmore, Kentucky, and Asbury with some people that I love dearly, and um, know that know that brothers and sisters are praying for you, um, even out there in uh, Kentucky. <laughs> but. Is an interesting word, the battleground, because in some ways, too, there's a contest that often happens over these things. And, you know, very quickly, I think, quite, tell me if I'm wrong, but like Fox News wanted to rock up and I think live store, there was like, you know, networks and people wanting to almost take control of it. And then even in some of the churches um, that, uh, you know, it's spread to, there's been fallings out and different things happen. And just interested in that sense of contending and maybe even just pulling that apart a little bit for people, uh, that sense of what, what is it to contend and are these things contested? Yeah, brilliant. Um, when, when you talk about contending uh, and, and you alluded to some of the um, forces that came in to try to potentially disrupt what the Lord was doing, we had literally every major news network in the entire United States and even internationally just want to come to the doorsteps. Like how does that happen? And, um, and you all know how divided America is uh, politically. It was on the front page of the Washington Post, on the New York Times, on Fox News, on CNN, on you know, CNBC, you, you, you name it. But no one was taking the mickey out of God. It was the most bizarre thing. You'd expect media, um, good and the bad, to distort things for their own agenda, but it's as if nothing could go against that. So as much as there's a contending, I think there's also a reminder that the battle's already been won. And um, I'll give you a great story about Tucker Carlson, and he's the number one, um, well, he was. <laughs> I think he's lost his job, but um, he was the number one um, current affairs host, I guess. Um, they, all the media came, they demanded that we want to, um, we want to come onto campus. And we made a call as a university that we are not going to push this narrative. It's not ours to push because we don't want to platform ourselves, but we really feel it was a real struggle to come to this decision, but we came to the decision that if media comes to us, then we will, be, we will testify. That's all we'll do. But Tucker Carlson wanted to come onto campus and we said no. Number one current affairs host in America. Instead, he could interview our student body president virtually through Zoom. Well, that went along swimmingly well, and uh, but it was really awkward. The next day or two afterwards, Tucker Carlson, without any prompting in his uh, news segment, said, I just want to go back to an interview I did a couple of days ago about this Asbury outpouring. 
and he said, um, I wanted to go there. We wanted to do our segment there. And in most circumstances, when I invite myself somewhere, people want me to be there because it brings attention to themselves. In many other circumstances, when I invite myself somewhere, people don't want me to be there because they know I'm going to uncover something bad. But in very rare instances, am I invited somewhere and declined, but it's because there's something so good there that I cannot even come in and, come in and interrupt it. God bless Asbury University. That's on one side of the media. And then you had CNN and the others come and do something quite similar but in a written fashion. And um, there were multitudes of groups on fundamentalists on either end of the church or um, extremists on either end of the church or even beyond or opponents of the church wanting to come in and, and explicitly state they, were, they wanted to tear these things down on Twitter or even we were warned by um, security, security about various groups. But instead, many of these people we saw end up at the altar worshipping. It was the most bizarre thing in America. So we were contending in prayer, but God had already answered his own prayer, not that we didn't have to contend for it. In, we, want, we had to contend, but we also didn't have to contend. I think we had a joy in contending because it's God's making us feel like we're part of it when he was in control all along anyway. <laughs> but there was a beauty in that, and um, I know that, we as the church feel get pressures over here too. And I really hope that serves as encouragement. Even in one of the most polarised places, um, nothing could come against what God was doing. And the New York Times was talking about Christ glowingly on his front page. It's just bizarre. <laughs> Every newspaper network <laughs> talking about Christ. It's going to happen in Australia. Because I guess the Lord promised it, didn't he? For um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven everywhere, not just America, even here. We are so, so grateful. Uh, I think the word testimony is thrown around a lot in church. And I think testifying in its, its purest sense is someone who's encountered the Lord and then tells others about it. And we just really want to thank you for testifying for us today. Um, and we also just wanted to just, yeah, bless you and, and thank you also, you know, in a sense, you know, Aussie has gone over there, um, but that's enabled you to be a witness and to come back to us. So thank you for blessing us for that. And uh, we're just internally grateful for you coming, but we're also just really excited to think about what you just said then. Uh, I think we can often as Australia watch it on the news and go, oh, it's happening over there. It's always, everything's far away. But also just thank you too for your hearts for that to happen here. And I just would love it if you could just pray for us as we just transition out of this uh, interview. Uh, if you could pray for us, that would just be brilliant. Um, yeah. Why don't we stand? And just one sentence before I pray. Um, the second week of the outpouring, there were more non-Americans there than Americans. Um, there was 48 states represented in 39 countries. And... Um, it's not, not something contained. God's presence isn't contained in Wilmore or Asbury. Lord God, I thank you that you have been distracting the church in such a fathomable way. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus, you were magnified, that you were pouring out your spirit. And Lord, as it pray, as, as it's written in Acts 1.8, as... as um, 
power comes when your spirit falls. Um, may we testify to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here at Red Church at this moment. Lord, I thank you for planting them here. I thank you for um, placing them here to contend for your kingdom to come. And despite all the forces of society and culture that may be pressing up against them, Lord, may they be reminded of the unique and beautiful calling that you've placed them in. And Lord, I love their name of Red and the Red Sea and things parting. And Lord, I just pray that you just use them as your vessel for people to cross over from darkness to life. And Lord, we believe that you love to work through the remnant, the small, the forgotten, and pour out your spirit here, Lord God, in the same way that you've poured out your spirit in Asbury and in so many other places in the world, Lord God. And start with us, Lord God, in Nanawaring, the battleground, Lord. May your spirit come, Lord God. And may we believe in things that are beyond even our own human comprehension, recognising that you are the Lord that took people out of Egypt and take Egypt out of us, Lord God, that we may be agents that testify you to you seeing Egypt taken out of all of our societies, Lord. And Lord, may we not contain church to simply being in walls, Lord God, but may we see walls break down in all aspects of society. So send us with boldness, Lord God. Give us a renewed strength of our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria's, Lord God. And in the same way that we face persecution, instead of retracting back into fear, just pour out your spirit again and again and again, Lord God. And fill us with the boldness that only you can provide. Not one out of force and not out of um, action that is so uh, driven to opposition, Lord God, but one that is gentle and meek and just pulls down walls like a gentle stream. So thank you, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon them. Especially pray for my brother Mark. And Lord, I know the, the struggles that he's facing right now as a family. And Lord, I just pray for an emboldening upon him. Uh, like, like the leaders that you've poured out during, during the um, exodus of Egypt, Lord God, despite the trials, that you just show him again and again, even in the midst of his weakness, that you're with him always. So Lord, bless my brothers and sisters here. Do it again, Lord. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much.